Ayushi Mona and you're listening to India Booked, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through its literature and we speak to authors who bring this to life. Hello everyone, I'm Ayushi Mona. I'm your host on India Booked, a podcast where we talk about India through the voice of authors and literature. Today, I am super geeked to have with me Ruth Vinita. She's a professor of English at the University of Montana. She was raised and educated entirely in India, taught at Delhi University for many years, co-founded Manushi, India's first nationwide feminist magazine. Her books include Gender, Sex and the City, Urdu Rehti Poetry in India, Love's Right, Same-Sex Marriage in India, Gandhi's Tiger and Sita's Smile, Essays on Gender, Sexuality and Culture, Dancing with the Nation. She's also translated the work of several Hindi writers. Welcome to the show, Ruth. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Ruth, I must confess that I was slightly intimidated, you know, when I was writing to you because uh, I hadn't read anything uh, that you've written yet. I, I only went and read your book um, after we decided we'd do this. But I'd, um, I'd heard of you speaking at a lot of academic conferences. One of my professors from college, I called mm-hmm. her up and I told her that, you know, I'll be speaking to Ruth Vanita. And then uh, my professor said, that's amazing. That's great. Um, what What's wrong? And I said, I'm very intimidated. Because she has, she's so knowledgeable. I don't know what to say, but but I think she calmed me down, and I'm genuinely very uh, 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 glad for this opportunity to do this. And especially because we're t- talking today not of just one book, but two books today. One is, of course, uh, Memory of Light, which emerges, you know, out of the imagination that you've crafted around the pre-colonial world of courtesans and poets as well as the relationship between two of these courtesans. Um, the second book is Dancing with the Nation, which is non-fiction and acknowledges uh, Tabayevs as central to popular Hindi cinema. I, I think just to start off, how was the journey with these two books different for you? Uh, oh, it's entirely different because Dancing with the Nation is based on watching films and writing about how courtesans are depicted in these films, all Bombay films, from the 40s to the present. So I watched about 200 and more than 235 films, and then I wrote about various aspects of courtesans as depicted in these uh, uh, films. For example, as working women, their family structures, um, their relationships with men as friends, not just as lovers, and their matrilineal uh, family structure and so on. So that was one thing. And the novel, which is Memory of Light, is, of course, it requires sort of uh, bringing uh, a different part of the imagination and the consciousness uh, uh, into uh, is that a different part is at work, and here it's uh, it's a historical novel, and it's also about love between two women, but also relationships of various other friends, neighbors, and family members of theirs. So male female relationships, male male relationships, friendships between men and women and uh, so on but it requires a totally different kind of writing because it's uh, there's dialogue and there's i translated poetry from the time so though it's based on historical records i've also invented a lot here i've invented characters invented dialogue 
which um, some of the characters are historical figures, but the two main characters I've invented. And in, in Dancing with the Nation, of course, I haven't invented anything. It's the films that invent things, and I write about the films. So that's the difference. But the common point yeah. is that both are about courtesans, but at very different times. So Dancing in the Nation is, of course, 20th century, since it's cinema. And Memory of Light is about the late 18th and early 19th century. Got it. Why did you choose to write about the courtesan? And and despite, you know, uh, the Tawaiya being such a popular fiction in cinema, why is there such a disregard? I won't say there's a disregard, but the comic has become quite fashionable recently. Several people have written biographies of famous uh, courtesans, and there's been work on Devadasis, there's been work on Tawaiya's so North and South Indian version. And there has, uh, so there is an interest, but of course, the the institution of, of courtesanhood no longer exists as it did before. So to that extent, there would be some disregard. It's no longer an existing phenomenon. I chose to write about this because I I was uh, very fascinated by the lives of courtesans of Tawaiyas in Lucknow um, and the male poets uh, who were their intellectual uh, equals uh, in the late 18th, early 19th century. I wrote a book about this called Gender, Sex and the City, where I read a lot of the poetry and prose and history of the time. And these characters came alive in my mind. The whole world came alive in my mind. I thought it was... Um, it was uh, very similar to modern, modern um, urban, sophisticated literary cultures in one way, and then also entirely different in other ways. And I wanted to see what relationships, friendships, love, love relationships, uh, same-sex relationships would have been in a somewhat pre-colonial culture before the British had introduced all the negative uh, stuff that they introduced, the, homo the modern homophobia they introduced, and the modern sort of anti-pleasure, anti-sex attitudes that they introduced uh, from after 1857. Uh, so with the anti-sodomy law, the laws that turn courtesans into prostitutes, and so on and so on. So I wanted to see what life would have been like before that. And so it's an attempt to imagine that life. How does, uh, I wonder, you know, uh, this whole role of Victorian morality and the colonial hangover change in how Indians perceive the courtesan as a figure. I know you've worked on reimagining what life was like before this intervention happens. But for the audience who may not even be aware of this context, how does India go from being a society that gets quite turned on its head in this respect um, after the intervention of Victorian morality? Well, uh, the Victorian education systems, administrative systems, legal systems uh, produce a set of attitudes that are internalized by modern Indians, uh, by Indians after 1857. So what I'm uh, suggesting is that there was an Indian modernity earlier, which I tried to show in the novel. And when I say modernity, I mean uh, a society in which there was a lot of goods and uh, people from all over the country and even all over the world who were mingling in the cities. And so it was a hybrid society, hybrid in many respects. The language was hybrid. Uh, there's sophisticated attitudes with regard to relationships and friendships. So it is modern in that sense. But uh, post-1857, colonial modernity is, uh, has, there are some differences to it. And some of the differences are that there is, I would say, a generally anti-pleasure kind of um, dominant attitude. It doesn't mean that pleasure disappears. Of course, it doesn't. But the dominant attitude is that anything we do, its purpose should be, should, it should have some moral purpose. It should have some social, it should do some good to society. 
whether it's something we read or something we write or something we do. There's a kind of frowning on pleasure for its own sake, all pleasure, not just sexual pleasure, but all pleasure. And uh, since courtesans are viewed as basically transmitting pleasure through conversation, through song, through dance, through music, they are there to produce pleasure, that's their work. And uh, that that comes to be frowned upon. And also there is an, as a downgrading of it as if uh, it is only sex that they, uh, that they produced and therefore they are seen as the same as sex workers, which they were not. They were distinctly different. And uh, so that's just one aspect of it. But I think overall there is an emphasis on work rather than play and on morality and moral and social purpose rather than pleasure. And you can clearly see this in, in Indian nationalism, in the Indian reform movements like Arya Samaj, Brahma Samaj, etc., where everything becomes extremely serious and solemn and earnest, especially, I would say, for the Western educated and especially for men, uh, where uh, I have often written about this and talked about this, where, for example, it's kind of visually emblematized in educated men going from wearing colors and jewelry and cosmetics to wearing black, basically, wearing Western clothes, which are black and mostly black and white in the Victorian period and even today. Um, so you can see that distinct shift happening. Yeah. I think um, in, in while this, you know, this cultural shift happens, there's also an Indian cultural ethos, which has, say, uh, been around which has been interwoven with religion as well, right? For instance, Devdasis. So how do some of these practices then connect to courtesans? Devdasis are another form of courtesanhood, and I, that's not my research area, and it's only it's very little depicted in uh, movies as well. And uh, But other scholars have worked on it, and there are common points between Devdasis and what Anthavayas, for example, uh, matrilineal structures, for example, being very high-earning women, very educated and accomplished women, women who transmit classical traditions of music and dance and also develop those traditions, um, and, and women who own property and land and money in their own names, and who have relationships with men that are not the not like simple sex work, but uh, long-term uh, relationships, say what we would today call serial monogamy. So those are the common points between Devdasis and Kodasans. Uh, and they also perform not only in temples, as is the usual stereotype, but Devdasis also perform in, performed in uh, the house, in the courts, in the uh, homes of nobility and royalty and rich people, yeah, generally. Ruth, what's uh, your favorite cinematic depiction of a Kodasan? I know you've you've watched a mind-boggling 235 films, but but which depiction really stays with you? Perhaps uh, academically, but also just say for the, uh, you know, performance. Uh, in black and white films, uh, Tisri Kasam, and in other films, uh, maybe uh, Amar Prem, I liked uh, very much for other reasons, and then many, many other films that are dimensions of them that I like. And which would be your least favorite depiction? Perhaps the sheer inaccuracy or, or just the bad acting. Uh, uh, well, I like Pakiza for its music and its acting, but there are certain aspects of it that I really don't like. The the the, the wife kind of uh, constantly castigating herself and saying how she's a walking corpse and how and the ridiculous uh, attempts to preserve her physical virginity at all costs, as if that's the most important thing about her, to, in, in order that she should be able to get married. And yeah, the constant the constant saying, "Oh, I'm a Randi, I'm a Randi, I'm a wife. It's terrible, it's terrible. I'm like a walking this. I found and that becomes a very um, influential depiction, which I uh, yeah really don't like. Yeah, would you say I think uh, that within the whole piece, you know, of um, 
the YFC owning land or being strong and independent women in their right with agency was in in see literary depiction uh, and and you mentioned the biographies that have recently sprung up do you feel there are erasers of certain identities in the current popular depiction or or do you think that the sort of depiction that exists today actually restores the dignity of the tawayf and chili you know sort of tells her story well well in early films uh, in the 50s 60s 70s and even in some later films in 80s and 90s we do see courtesans who own their own homes who drive their own cars who have friendships with men that are not just sexual relationships who have who look after their mothers uh, so because her daughter was the one who inherited from her mother and therefore looked after her was like a son in that respect what we conventionally think of as like a son and uh, so all those depictions are there in films but uh, there's also the kind of negative depiction as like, she's dying to get married and that is all she's interested in of, of course real life courtesans did get married uh, some of them not all of them some of them did get married but that was not the be all and end all of the everybody's life but films of later films especially but even earlier they kind of direct everything towards as if marriage is the only thing that she's dying to have so uh, i think uh, moving from you know the more um, d- dancing with nation obviously acknowledges um, courtesans in the context of popular hindi cinema right and and how historically they have existed outside conventional patriarchal families and, and still carved a place um, and and had an independence memory of light is a fictional work and uh, i think i am just going to step back and and let you take over and perhaps tell us a little bit about memory of life a um, memory of light and and you know tell us what was the journey while writing the book of course but also perhaps i think we'll delve into reading an excerpt of a section that you think um the audience would like to listen to okay so the memory of light is a short novel set in the late 18th early 19th centuries it's told in the voice the speaker the one telling the story is a woman called nafis who is a courtesan but an unusual kind of a courtesan um because she runs she manages the accounts in her household and she doesn't really have uh, sexual relationships with men though she has friendships with men and uh, she falls in love with a woman called, she's in lucknow and she falls in love with a woman called chapla courtesan who's very dazzling and glamorous and who is visiting from banaras and so the, that's the main story is about the relationship between them but on the side we have relationships with their mothers sisters other courtesans in the house people working in the house and also with male uh, with male friends uh, most of whom are poets chapla herself is a poet uh, nafis herself is a poet and chapla is a dancer uh, but other male poets some of these male poets are historical characters like insha uh, rangin and jurat Uh, and also there is a side story about a neighbor of hers bakshi who has a relationship with a with a male poet called hazrat and gets into trouble for that because she doesn't want to meet any other man and that man is not a rich man so this is this story is based on an actual uh, real life story which was written about by the poet jurat so that's the and and i sort of try to recreate the uh, ethos of the times they go for picnics they go for they go to the imambara which has just been built they go and they they go shopping and a lot of these details i got from the writings of the time from the poetry of the time so yeah that's what the novel is about i can read an excerpt now in which chapla and nafis uh, their relationship has which took a long time to sort of get off the ground has just started 
and they are invited to uh, sing uh, in a women's gathering at the house of Clive Martin, who's a real life, of course, uh, historical figure. And they are invited by Sophia Plowden, also a real life British woman, who uh, who produced a very interesting diary in which a little notebook in which she uh, wrote down all the uh, many songs of courtesans that she could collect and she and their beautiful illustrations to this little book which is now in a library in Cambridge and somebody is working on publishing it. Um, so anyway, they they are invited by Sophia Plowden and they go there and they meet Clive. It's all women and they meet Clive Martin's uh, two or three wives um, also. So it's so it's from there. So I'm going to read now. Persian kittens were everywhere, long-bodied and slender, their white silky fur trailing like royal robes, their unwinking eyes appraising and appealing, sapphire, emerald, agate. Looking across the room at an old mirror framed in emerald quartz studded with gems, I watched Chapla laughing in its milky depths. Sitting on the dark red carpet, she smiled down at the kitten walking slowly up her arm and batting at her long plait. Conscious of my eyes and perhaps of Plowden Sahibas, she flushed slightly. She was fair enough for the blood to become visible, wine rising in a glass. The kitten's tail twitched. Two pairs of golden eyes met like patches of sunlight in a glade, touching and expanding. Did the kitten sense a being exquisite as itself? We sang a few more songs, then she and I slipped out into the garden. Which is more pleasurable, being alone together or being with others? knowing that the one they all desire will soon be alone with you. They call the house Farhat Baksh now, after the Nawab bought it. But to me, it will always be Lakpera. They certainly felt like a hundred thousand, those trees whispering around us. We walked entwined down a narrow path to the river slipping by. On the opposite bank, a few jogans were exercising. Oiled muscles, tightly knotted hair, saffron dhotis. A particularly sturdy one threw a discus. Abruptly, she turned to me, her arms tightened, our toes pressed into the swimming earth. My eyes opened briefly, hers were dark points, our only kiss in the open air. Gori Bibi took us up to the roof to see the hot air balloon. It had carried a man into the sky, risen above trees and hills as everyone does in dreams. A fortress the building was with its moat, its drawbridge, its heavy iron doors, and here on the roof, its turrets with slits for guards to shoot through. If all else failed, one could escape in the balloon, a tunnel through the sky. The barber who had nicked Nawab Saab by mistake while cutting his hair and whom Modern had saved from execution had been sent up in a balloon instead for punishment and had descended safely about five miles away. Then she took us all the way down to see the basement rooms that were partly submerged now. When the river receded during the hot months, they would drain and become cool spaces for Martin Saab to live in. When we finally got into our boat, the house seemed to shimmer and drift, its top reaching up to the skies, its hidden depths below the river. The sun had not yet set, but a full moon was rising amid a few scattered clouds. She sighed and lay down, her head on my lap, then pulled my ornate down so that it shielded both our faces from the sun's last flare. The boatman was facing the other way. I was bending over her when someone hailed us. I started back and there was Rangin Saab laughing and bowing. Mir Insha was gazing at the sky, his head on Rangin Saab's lap as their boat drifted slowly past. He turned his head without raising it and smiled at us knowingly. Later that night, when we were all sitting together, Mir Insha remarked, What a lustrous evening. It inspired a new ghazal. Please let us hear it, said Ammi politely, and he launched into it right away, still smiling at me. Chaudhavi Tariq Ik Abratanik Satha Jorat, 
सहन गुलशन में अजायब सैर में देखने देखा था झिलमिली सी चादर महताब ऊपर बर्फ का वो दुपट्टा बादले का था जो लहराया किया यो लगा मालूम होती हैं ये दो परियां बाहम एक ने गोया की साया दूसरी पर आ किया बुए गुल बोली कि आज आपस में बदली ओढ़नी चांदनी खानम ने भी चपला से बहनापा किया खुद बदौलत तो ना आए और इंशा रात भर आप बिन रोया किया लोटा किया तड़पा किया On full moon night, a small flower arose out in the flower garden. I saw a wonder, a shimmering veil of lightning over the moon, a cloudy veil of fine fabric fluttering. They seemed to me two fairies close together. One drew near, cast her shadow over the other. Flowers' perfume said they have exchanged veils today. Lady Moonlight has become Lady Lightning's sister. You didn't have the grace to come, and Insha all night long wept, writhed, throbbed alone without you. Pari, they call us, and for the first time I felt fairy-like, caught in the magical circle of light cast by his verse. As they applauded, several listeners smiled and looked at us. Thank you so much, Ruth. It took me a second to actually come out of this whole trance while I was listening to you, and and you know, like listening to the uh, uh, the full piece just made me realize that uh, there's a lot of in you know the your narrative is obviously interspersed with poetry. how did you go about researching the whole you know the whole set of verses and and poets from the time and and how did say they write differently of in terms of what were they talking about back then as opposed to say what popular verses today are uh i didn't have to do any research for this book because i had already done all the research for my earlier book gender sex and the city which is about urdu poetry of this time and uh, the the poetry that i am interested in the kind of ghazals are very playful ghazals and they are about most of them are about everyday life they are about happy love and happy friendship uh, in, in addition to sad love and friendship but they are also about shopping and going out and markets and people and servants and servants are also characters and and relationships in the household relations between and a lot about relationships between women uh erotic relationships between women so this is the kind of ghazal that had become completely lost it was buried in libraries and manuscripts because it was considered obscene later in the 19th century onwards and it had disappeared basically and the kind of ghazal we are used to now is the kind which is all about unhappy love and about sadness and weeping and dying and so on now that was one kind of ghazal but it was not the only kind and i was interested in this kind of ghazal which is much more like hindi film songs which are can be sad but are also happy and cheerful and funny and humorous so that that's why i did all the research at uh, that time i got most of these poems out of manuscripts because they were not available in print or so i i copied them out of manuscripts in libraries now they have come back in print in urdu and i did many of these poems uh, mine are the first translations and a couple of other scholars have also worked on these uh, poems so i didn't have to do the research because i had already done all the research so i already knew and i had all these poems from which i picked a few and translated the name chapla bai is the name of an actual courtesan which occurs in two of which in occurs in one of insha's poems where he describes her dancing at the british Red- residency and he gives a head to toe description of her dress and her wit and her beauty and all that so but that's all we know about her so i use that name for um, for my one of my main characters and uh, and i dis- had the same the description of the dress and all i have nafis preparing that dress for her Before we wrap up, I think one last question: What is one reading recommendation that you would give to everyone um, to learn perhaps more about the period, uh, apart from your own book, or or even in general, you know, 
for someone to explore the idea of India apart from what is mainstream or conventional or already known? Well, I like Suniti Namjoshi's Conversations of Cow, which is a book that should be much more widely read. I think I teach it in many kinds of different courses uh, because it's a, it's a it's a wonderful mixture of funny of uh, humor, play, all kinds of uh, fluid uh, relationships, friendships, sexualities. And all done in a very witty style. And it's also a short book, a really short book. It's called Conversations of Cow. And it draws on a lot of earlier literature on uh, Indian early, earlier literatures and art. So it's a very fun book. So that's the book I would recommend. Thank you so much, Ruth, for the recommendation. It's been an absolute pleasure to have had this conversation with you. For everyone listening in, please do not forget that Memory of Light is now available in bookstores as well as on Amazon and Flipkart. Do order your copy to read this fascinating book. I'm sure that nobody apart from Ruth can write in such detail about this period and with the immense amount of research that's gone into it. So do read the book. Do not forget to tune into us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Ghana, and HT Smartcast.